Hello, welcome to episode 49 of Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to The Raven That Refused to Sing by Stephen Wilson. If this is your first time listening to our show, welcome. We like to talk about progressive rock music, a fun, exciting, unique subgenre of rock music. And each episode, we dedicate our time to break down and talk about albums from all over the world. And if you aren't familiar with us, or maybe you just haven't checked us out extensively, we also have some other fun things going on, like our offshoot podcast called Spotlight, which is an interview show with old and new prog rock bands. Our friend and host, Rogan, has interviewed bands and artists such as Camelot, Kairos, Leprous, Wilderun, and more. You can hear those interviews by visiting our link tree in the description of the episode, which is just linktree.com slash prognotes. And if you haven't already, please tap that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our future episodes. And lastly, we always want to say thank you to all of our patrons for helping keep Prog Rock alive and sharing these albums we all love and enjoy. You can become a patron by also visiting linktree.com slash prognotes to support the show. And be sure to stick around until the end of the episode to know what album we will be listening to next. And also joining us for yet another Stephen Wilson record is our good friend, Rachel Brown. Hello, Rachel. Hello there. Hi. Thank you. Good to be here again. You know, I remember I remember doing and recording the Hand Cannot Erase episode. And it's one, honestly, I think it was one of my favorite episodes to record. All of the stuff that we got to dive into and the concepts and stuff like that. It was a fun episode. So I'm glad to have you back for another Steven record. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed listening to Hand Cannot Erase. So um, I'm excited about this one. Great. It's going to be great. So The Raven, uh, as it's sometimes called, is the third solo album by the British musician Stephen Wilson, released on February 25th, 2013. Musicians credited on this record include Stephen Wilson's vocals, Mellotron, keyboards, guitar, and bass guitar on The Holy Drinker. Guthrie Govan is credited on guitar, Nick Beggs on bass guitar, Chapman Stick on The Holy Drinker, and backing vocals, Adam Holzman on keyboards, Hammond organ, piano, and mini moog, and Marco Miniman, uh on drums and percussion, and Theo Travis on flute, saxophone, and clarinet. The Raven and the following record, Hand Cannot Erase, the record we just alluded to, have essentially the same lineup. And uh, I think it's safe to say that the lineup has been the most successful so far. Uh, additional musicians include Jocko Jaksik. I may be mispronouncing that. Uh, but his vocals are on Luminol and The Watchmaker. You actually may recognize him on modern King Crimson records as he uh, currently plays with that band. The London Session Orchestra, arranged by Dave Stewart, is also on this record. And Alan Parsons himself, providing guitar on The Holy Drinker. Alan Parsons, who pushed all the right buttons on Abbey Road, Adam Hartmother, Dark Side of the Moon, is indeed credited as the engineer for this record, which at the time of this being recorded put him, puts him at 64 years old. And uh, one question I'd like to pose to you guys on the fact uh, that Steven has always been, has always openly expressed the impact of Dark Side on, music, on Steven's musical ideology, uh, specifically with the thought that, and this is a quote from him, that you can tell stories through an album and take people on a musical journey, having a feeling that you've been somewhere when you complete the record, which sounds a lot like the suggested approach for The Raven and possibly the purpose for inviting Alan to be on the album. So I want to ask you guys, do you think that could be true? Do you think that was maybe the intention 
behind him being a part of this record? And follow-up question to that is, do you think it was a success? Uh, I'll field that quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he appreciated Alan Parsons' work not only from a conceptual perspective, but also from just an actual sound quality perspective. Because I think most people, when you listen to Dark Side of the Moon, it just it sounds so immersive. Like, how do you get those sounds and those tones? And, you know, um, Parsons did amazing stuff in the world of rock, um, even prog rock and art rock. In, in the late 60s and early 70s and I think that that's undeniable like people knew that and then with his own band right um, yeah he just has a really really he knows how to shape sound in in uh, a very beautiful way he just really does and expresses itself in a very artistic way in a very atmospheric way um, and in conjunction with the fact that he he, he did work on conceptual stuff and Stephen Wilson has an affinity for storytelling stuff. That quote that you said, I've heard him say stuff similar to that, if not the exact same thing in other interviews, where he's talked about what I don't appreciate about kind of the modern music landscape is it just, it seems like, and I'm kind of paraphrasing slash interpreting kind of what he's saying, but it seems like he doesn't really appreciate um, uh, a lack of um, an attention span. Right. He doesn't appreciate mm -hmm. the fact that you can't really sit with something, let it rest and let it kind of um, imprint itself on your psyche. Um, mm -hmm. I think he appreciates types of, of music that 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 do that, that can perform that function and kind of hit you in a more salient way. So, uh, yeah. yes. And is it effective? Um, yeah, I think it helps. It helps if you know the stories going into it. Um, I would yeah. agree. I think it, it helps. I mean, not that he's necessarily ineffective at telling the story, but I think there are other there are other albums that I think of. Like, I don't know, the first one that comes to mind is like a lot of Pink Floyd stuff. I know we just kind of referenced them, but like Animals in the Wall. Like, I don't necessarily need to do a bunch of research on that to know what these songs are about to get the right. gist of the wall like it's chaotic and happening. weird but i kind of yeah. get the gist of the wall just by listening mm -hmm. to it yeah but this record um it it, it does and it's it, the songs are more effective but you kind of have to seek out what they mean i think before i would you know, agree beforehand almost definitely when you and then when you listen to it you're like okay now i get the story and now the song right. has a lot more weight so if we're talking yes. just about sound it, 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 he doesn't do it as effectively as other groups have Right, mm -hmm. like getting you the story, delivering the message of the story, effect and clearly, that's what I mean. Yeah, um, but he does put you in a space. So to that point, I think that he tremendous respect in, in that sense. Yeah. So, well, and I think other some, so I think some songs are more effective than others on this album mm -hmm. as well. There are some that's mm -hmm. like, okay, I get, I didn't really need to be told what's going on here to to grasp the gist of this, but there were other ones that I was like. You know, even just a quick Wikipedia search about here are some comments that Wilson has made about what this song is about, and like kind of going through each of them, I was like, oh, okay, I'm starting to understand now. Look, now reading the lyrics in conjunction with having read that, I did not pick that up on first listen. You know, there are others that were a little more clear. I felt so. Some are more yeah. effective than others. I do. I. I mean, I think this is a great sounding record, hands down. But I would agree with you on that point. Just is is the sound of a rec is the sound of the record alluding to or not alluding, but helping and supporting uh, the immersive nature of the concept 
I guess you could say. And I guess mm-hmm. what you're saying, Drew, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, it really takes a little bit more in-depth analysis into the writing in order for you to really truly grasp some of the things, uh, like the stories and things that are being told, rather than just strictly listening to the music and, and gaining an understanding of like, oh, I, I have an understanding of what the story is trying to tell through how well this is that this was engineered or how well this is, is immersing you in the music. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that, and it's not, I'm not saying that he he's failing to, to no, he doesn't yeah, do it as effectively yeah. as others. Yeah. But, but yes, you kind of have to seek out a little bit more to kind of get the concept for a lot of these. And in fairness to him, since we're on a prog rock show, in fairness to him, the vast majority of, progressive rock lyrics are not clear cut and you don't know what they're talking about yeah, but there are agreed. exceptions to the rule and I appreciate that Hemispheres by Rush I didn't need to Wikipedia to understand that it was a battle between the gods Dionysus and Apollo or Dionysus and Apollo right. you get that because the lyrics are pretty clear cut in that but they, but Rush still affects surprise surprise I'm heralding Rush again but <laughs> they do a good job of effectively communicating oh, that true. with both their sound and their lyrics I think that's really really difficult to do Yeah, I, I don't think that's an easy thing to do to have yeah. The lyrics not only convey the, the message fairly clearly, but also add kind of um, the music to, to support that and support the themes mm-hmm. and put you in that headspace as well. It's like making a movie. It's not easy to make a movie. And that's why these directors are, you know, get applause all the time. It's because they're taking the story, the, the basic message that the writer has given them, and also putting a visual component to it as well. And yeah. they have to, I mean, every frame has to be shaped in that way. Um, in a way that helps effect, effectively create whether it's you know pretty clear or whether it's really subconscious. Whether they're doing stuff with like shape theory and color theory and all that kind of stuff that like most viewers wouldn't think about that, mm-hmm. but it is subconsciously having an effect and reinforcing this idea that oh that's the bad guy because their face is shaped like a triangle, right? I mean yeah. you don't think mm-hmm. about this stuff, but in in stuff like animation and in filmmaking that's what you do. It's similar with music when you're having the lyrics and the music work combination to really effectively communicate something. Um, and and complement each other that's difficult to do. Tying that back to this, this is a great sounding record. Yeah. But it it does not do that, combine them both flawlessly. Yeah. Uh, And and I was just alluding to the lyrics themselves. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I find that Wilson can be overly cryptic. And that's what Mm -hmm. I, you know, kind of what I was saying with the, I wasn't even necessarily talking about how the music and the lyrics don't necessarily line up. Um, for me, it was just, I may not fully, I know what that word means, but I don't fully understand in the context of, you know, this phrase that you're using, what right. you're trying to convey until I go back and I look at his description of what this song is about. And then I go, oh, okay. Now I go back and look at the lyrics and I'm like, okay, I, I can see this, but just listening to it or just reading through the lyrics, he can be very cryptic. I Oxford think. panache in Luminol. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh, I like that though. Panache. Yeah. It's something You're not going to find that in another song. Yeah, exactly. Right? So. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that, like his creative use of words as somebody sure. who was an English major and it can appreciate things that are cryptic for the sake sure. of sometimes being a little elusive. I, sure. I appreciate that. However, when you are trying to convey something, if you're really wanting this specific point to come across, you do need to make it, I think, sometimes a little more clear cut for him at yeah. least. Yeah, definitely. 
That's great. So, Drew, I know that you uh, had just a little bit of, of some reviews from maybe an outside perspective uh, that you wanted to share. Mm-hmm. Would you mind uh, just reading what yeah. somebody else thought of of this record? Sure. I'll give the numbers first. This is pretty successful. I mean, Stephen Wilson's kind of the poster child for modern prog rock. I think he has been for a while. Yeah. Um, so uh, it reached number 28 in the UK charts, number 57 in the US Billboard 200, number three in Germany, number 16 in the Netherlands, number 17 in Finland and Norway, number 23 in Austria, number 25 in Poland, number 38 in Sweden, number 34 in Hungary. And it charted other places too, but- um, wow. Most of those, besides the U.S., are above top 50. So, um, anyways. Dang. And granted, you have to take that with a grain of salt because all of these countries have different populations and charting is different in different territories. But sure, still, um, pretty it's successful, pretty well. especially in Europe. Um, so, it won the Album of the Year category at the 2013 Progressive Music Awards. 2015, the album was listed as number two on the Prague Report's Top 50 Prague Albums of 1990 to 2015. Uh, so on the tour for this album, uh, Steven himself, not Porcupine Tree, but yep. Steven as a solo artist gave his first sold out show at the Royal Albert Hall. So I thought that was interesting. So yep. this was pretty successful. Yeah. Um, Prague Archives has it as a 4.28 stars out of five. And that's from a little over 2200 ratings. 59% gave it a five out of five perfect score so over half 25 percent gave it a four out of five um so 84 percent of people uh who rated it i, I kind of combined the four and the five because those are still pretty great uh 84 yeah. of people think that it's great or perfect uh so one reviewer had this to say um <laughs> This is the tribute to vintage prog rock some fans were waiting for and others were hoping not to hear. It is by far the jazzier, musician-oriented album from the from this artist. The songwriting is more studied and a little more distant, but it is exactly what Wilson needed to do. He unleashes on The Raven all the love he has for progressive music without even looking within himself. Although it does sound like a bad premise, the songwriting, song structuring, and musicianship are so, so good that there isn't really much that feels missing. Everything that needs to be in this kind of an album is here in the most complete way. It is, in other words, a fun record for whoever is a fan of the genre and a not-so-good record for those who are not fans enough to love progressive rock in any form of any era. <laughs> so I thought that was a pretty that was a pretty mixed review, which is kind of nice. It was kind of balanced. Yeah. Um, said some good things, said I, some bad things. I appreciate that, actually. Um, a lot. I'll give you just one more. Oh, I go have, ahead. Actually, I do have just a quick question for that too, because I just brought, I just brought up Alan Parsons in terms of how mm-hmm. his relationship to this record improved it in some sort of way. Because I mean, it's a big name. You don't just go and get Alan Parsons yeah. to go and engineer on your. And I think he like came out of retirement to do the record as well. And so if wow. it, if if he didn't, uh, in our opinion, maybe help to, uh, of course, it's a good sounding record, but in the relationship to some of the con- the conceptual piece of what Alan could bring. Do you think that it, uh, uh, and, and maybe this is too obvious, but brought the quote-unquote prog to this record knowing that Alan Parsons was going to be on this record? And was that, I mean, again, I don't know intentions, but could it be the intention of bringing him and knowing, of course, that he whatever he put his hands to, it's like he's got it. Like that's also knowing that you got a guy who's going to make anything sound good is good. But do you think that maybe helped this record 
just having his name being a part of something like this. Meaning, do you think that it ended up being more proggy than even Wilson intended because of Parsons being involved? That could be that could be an, a perspective, uh, but also just the uh, the pro- the sounds, uh, some of the some of the the tones and stuff like that, the Mellotron, the mini moves, well, and all of the interesting he sounds. May have, of it. I think he may have helped him take you know take Wilson's vision and realize it, help it to be more realized, for yeah. sure. I mean, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. you know, if if he's producing and working on this album, you know, engineering and and got his hands all over the album, then I can imagine that there would have been a level of collaboration, not just this was all Wilson's vision and, and, you know, Alan just did it or other side of it, of the coin, you know, that Wilson had this small idea and then Alan just took it. I, I don't think that's the case either. No. Yeah. I think, I think Steven is when seeing some of his interviews, he's pretty, I mean, he's definitely a visionary. He knows what he, he knows what he wants. He knows what he wants. Yeah. He knows what he wants and, you can and he tell. knows, and he knows the vision behind what he's doing and he's able to, uh, explain that very well, I think. Like I, I hear Wilson. I don't hear Alan Parsons when I listen yep. to this album. Yep. I, I hear other things that I've you know taken some notes on and we'll probably touch on that later. Um, some other influences that w- like I can tell that Wilson is influenced by those bands. Um, yeah. But I don't hear listen to this and think, oh man, that's just Alan Parsons and Wilson just stuck his name on it. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, right, right. That's true. It's true. Totally. Uh, I had one, one more. Uh, it's not even a, a quote, but I just saw another reviewer. They couldn't tell if Wilson was making fun of prog rock or not. Mm. Mm. Similar to how Ian Anderson was mocking the genre with Thick as a Brick, the mother oh, of all yeah. concept albums. Check out episode nine, everyone. There's my plug. This reviewer thought that it was overtly prog and the influences to older blands was a bit cliche, maybe even to the point that it was intentional and meant to serve as a joke of the genre. So, and mm-hmm. th- you know, honestly, that's the general impression I got from a lot of reviews on Prague Archives. So, a, I know a lot of people who loved it and raved about it too. Not to say that, again, this was, again, critically well received and fans as well. Um, but I, I did also hear uh, a, a lot of, or see rather, I read a lot of reviews where people were thinking that this is somewhere annoyed and they see Wilson kind of as a copycat and lacking originality. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, those are the two kind of main viewpoints I saw on, on this. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think I got that impression, but I I don't think either. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get that. And maybe, and maybe because of just the, I mean, the originality that he's bringing with, uh, the stories that he's telling the approach of how he told the stories and the music videos, I mean, is un is unmatched. And in my opinion, I mean, I think they're excellent. And not unoriginal whatsoever. Um, well, yeah, I I will rebuttal that. I do think that he can be a bit be a bit over dramatic with his lyrics. Sure, mm-hmm. um, kind of like how we were saying, like overly cryptic. So I can understand that where some fans might be like, okay, he's either making a little fun, yeah. or he's kind of gone over the top with this. It, it's good music, but dot dot dot. You know, there's always the but. Oh, man. Um, I saw and, a guy who hated his lyrics. <laughs> Yeah, I I can I, see I mean, where some of it. I'm like, okay, him. okay, Stephen, all right. You well, know. it was like it was like when we did the episode on Fear of a Blank Planet. Drew was doing a review. He was reading a review of some guy, and he was like, "What I hate about this record is that it comes from the perspective of a teenager." But like, what what was he saying about it? It was like something of the fact that like the exact review of like 
say I, I mean I don't know. I it was in the, the vein thought. of like I just don't the fact the that like it works for that because that's how teenagers think. <laughs> like that right. is the perspective, but that it also you would, means it's crap have. because it's, yeah. but yes, but like from an objective <laughs> point of view, that's still kind of cringy. So like, if your point is to reflect yeah. like yeah. a teenager's mindset, then great. Mm-hmm. But like, it's also a teenager's mindset. Like, yeah, oh, that's what it was. It was that. It was like the best thing about this is that's that it reflects it a teenager's mindset. And then the worst thing about this record is it reflects a teenager's mindset. Reflects a teenager's so like, mindset. Yeah. That's it was it, something similar it, to that. That's not the exact quote, but it was allowing that thing. Like the worst thing about this record is also the best thing about this record is also the worst or type type of yes. thing. That's so good. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So well, Rachel, uh, could you just tell us, uh, maybe give us some of your first impressions of this of this album? Oh, well, first, uh, let me ask you this first. Have you listened to this record before uh preparing for it for the show or how long have you been have how long you been sitting with with this album knowing about this record no i had not listened to this beforehand which surprise surprise i mean i I don't listen to a lot of modern every now and then you guys will do an episode that i'm like oh i actually want to really check out that album yeah um but i'm not really a big modern prog person um so i there's a lot that i haven't listened to um but no i had not listened to this beforehand I, um, you know, in preparation for this, I've probably been listening to it for about a month and a half. Uh, and not, not, you know, I'll listen to it once, kind of put it away for like a week or two and then pull it back out again. Um, so I've listened to it probably about four or five times now, yeah. like all the way through. Yeah. Um, certain tracks more than others. Um, I liked it. Um, even for, I mean, very beginning, I mean, Luminol, just... The way that starts off, I, I love that song. It, yeah. it, the, the musicality on Luminol is just, it pulls you in immediately. And mm-hmm. I just really, really liked it. So I was like, oh man, I'm really excited about this. Um, there were a few tracks in, in between that I didn't love as much. Um, I will say, I have listened to two of his solo albums now this and then obviously hand cannot erase that we did that you know that album on and maybe it's where i was i mean we recorded that album in the height of covid you know and that album is all about isolation and so maybe it really just hit home i mean i would be walking through my neighborhood and listen to that album in preparation to do that and it was very i mean i don't know maybe i was just the perfect headspace for it but i love hand cannot erase and so to me i was like this is good but i i cannot you know it doesn't hold a candle to Hand Cannot Erase for me. And maybe that's because, again, of some of the sentimentality that I also associate with that time. Sure, yeah, um, of course. And um, I guess that sounds weird to be sentimental about COVID, but there were some positive things, I feel, that came out of it as well as oh, yeah, a lot of absolutely. the negatives that came out of it, at least for me personally. So I got a lot of time to just be with myself, and um, it was good. So I, that was an album that was with me through that. So um, this dev- doesn't have that punch <laughs> for me that that one did. Um, and But I really did appreciate, and I know we'll go further into the different tracks later, so I'll keep some of my opinions, you know, like where I, some of the influences that I heard that I enjoyed, yeah. I'll save that for later. But I, I did enjoy, I did enjoy the listen for sure. That's great. That's great. So how does this, I know we, we on the subject of Hand Cannot Erase, Drew, what are your thoughts on uh, specifically these two records? Because we've we've now listened to both of these on the show. Hand Cannot Erase, The Raven That Refuses Sing. Mm-hmm. How do they match up to, uh, maybe match up or compare to, or even just your opinion of just, I flat out like one or the other more? I like Hand Cannot Erase better. Yeah. And that's that's a shock yes. coming from, from me. <laughs> Not that, because Nick Beggs played on that one too, right? Yes, he did. I'm pretty sure it's the inside. I'm Adam Holzman, uh, Marco Miniman, uh, 
Even Guthrie Govan, I believe, is also. I'm pretty sure this record and Hand Cannot Erase have the same lineup. Mm-hmm. I may be wrong, and I have to go check that. And there's but a I, lot of similarity yeah. that you can hear, you know, yeah, yeah, as far I'm as just, the music, I'm, the musicality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I, I really like conceptually what this, this has to do, uh, and we'll talk about more of that later. But I like the idea of a bunch of short stories, kind of all in one collection. Mm. That's a really neat idea to me. And conceptually, I kind of actually get behind that a little bit more than Hand Cannot Erase, even though Hand Cannot Erase has a, a very um, sobering message to it as well, kind of sad and melancholic, but that's kind of Wilson's shtick. But he does it fairly well. I mean, you know, these concepts that he presents. That, not to say that that wasn't good, but I, I do kind of like the concept of this a little bit more. Um, and the fact that I personally think the music videos, and we'll talk more about that later too, on this record are better me than routine yes on, then, on yes hand cannot erase or even Perfect i don't Life think i even watched those. i don't think i even i didn't even know there was a music video yeah, for hand cannot erase for because i did not on, we didn't really do that in prep yeah. we, we didn't talk about that yeah. and so i i'm not really a big music video person um i mean i've seen some wonderful ones but unless somebody tells me go see this music video i probably will not do that i listen to the album and have my own vision sure, in my mind yeah. of what it's being and you can't have that tainted on. by any outside influence no no not at all i don't mean it <laughs> i don't mean that i like i would never never watch a music I'm video no <laughs> no um yeah you are i i you cannot access the internet while listening to music yeah. it's just everybody knows don't that. touch it just listen um, to it. <laughs> I, I i like routine i think it's a very well done that's not to throw shade on it i like it but personally oh, that's right i did see that. i yeah. i like are you, ta- are you talking about the song or the music video music video music video we're talking about okay, music videos. i think that that was really really well done that's a that's a great music video but i gravitate yeah. more towards the raven that refused to sing even and even drive home a bit more mm. so we'll talk about that more that. later but uh I, I think that uh, Hand Cannot Erase, to me, just kind of hits a little bit harder. I mean, stuff like Home Invasion and Ancestral and even something as short oh, as yeah. Transient or Transient yep. is um, is just th- those really hit home. Um, and even the last track. Um, why can't I remember the name of the last track? Happy yeah. Returns. Yeah. Thank you. And then yes, that's right. Oh yeah, after, right. Such yeah. a such a simple song. Yeah, but yeah, very yeah. impactful. Well, and I and I just love the opening too. Yeah, I mean, no, and the, uh, God, the fact that at the very end of that one, that he puts rhythm to the rain after at first it's mm-hmm. not. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. That's amazing. That's it's just great. It's, it's incredible. It's a great tool to employ. Yeah. the rhythm of rain. Uh, but anyways, um, I digress. I think that you hit on something, Drew. Say what? Oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. Fin- finish what you were th- saying. But oh, I'm that, that was basically it. Um, I I. Just if we're just talking about one to the other, I personally prefer Hand Cannot Erase, but this one, again, conceptually, I think I actually prefer um, overall, though, if I'm just listening to a record, I think I prefer Hand Cannot Erase. But I appreciate the artistry besides with how he, he orchestrated this. Personally, it's a very subjective thing. Personally, I like this kind of collection of macabre stories. I like the idea of that, but I'm a big Edgar Allan Poe fan, and I think this hits closer to Edgar Allan Poe than Anne Cannot Oh, race. yeah, definitely. So, Hashtag Tales of Mystery and Imagination episode. Yeah. Yes, Go check it yes. out. Also it's with tough. Rachel. Anyway, you had a thought, Rachel. That's right. Well, I was going to say, you made a, an important point, though, Drew, when you were saying a lot of these songs from Hand Cannot Erase, um, that they, they hit home more. Um, kind of like what I was I, I think there is something about... Hand cannot erase that people can identify with more than this 
because these are telling kind of a, a series of fictional and macabre stories um, that have yeah. to do with um, the supernatural. All of them were intended to be yeah. have a supernatural element to them, which some people um, are going to be able to connect with um, more of the kind of down to earth um, yet very melancholy um, <clears throat> concepts on and cannot erase. And again, that's what, for me, there's more of a sentimental connection to that than to this. But, you know, also I think that, you know, you and I differ on, you enjoy it being a, almost a collection of short stories where I think for me in an album, I really like that, um, like, you know, with The Wall, that's one big story that's the being The overarching theme a and huge, concept. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I appreciate that, you know, unifying a s- collection of, um, songs. Okay, but with Hand Cannot Erase, and we may have discussed that on the episode, there are kind of tinges of maybe this is the same character here and there throughout the middle tracks, but honestly, besides the first and last track, there isn't anything to really concretely propose that this is one character. Mm. So I don't really, it's, it is a kind Possibly. of a, cons- a, a, it is inspired by the concept, particularly Happy Returns, that of the of the isolation and, and three years after, or older, right? Three years older. Thank you. Three years older. Yeah. Those two are really kind of like, okay, this, I'm pretty sure this is the same character. Maybe Perfect Life, all of that, but. Perfect Life, yeah. Um, but even then, like to me, that these are kind of snapshots in her life that aren't, there's there's not a, a story, a goal, or a quest, or really, to me, a sure. very clear-cut journey that she is sojourning on, that she is embarking on throughout all of this as opposed to something like the wall or as opposed to something like you know hemispheres or 2112 where you have like the protagonist and you've got the story kind of going through so anyways just saying that one isn't to me a very clear-cut story in terms of concept or or type of storytelling maybe i just enjoy the fact that one key theme yes yes yeah uh, is being told like isolation like the uh my example would then be um, dark side of the moon. Yes. You know, you have insanity and madness and all that. That that thread is throughout. You know, the entire uh, the entire album. You know, um, and and that's what I also enjoyed. Maybe you know, because again, I did a lot of research on Hank and Race and kind of like read that fake blog that Wilson put together yeah, 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 for yeah, that. Yeah. And that real okay. So so for me, the whole thing is so connected yeah. because that blog hits on everything. Sure. You know, yes. but yeah, if you hadn't read that and just listened to it, yes. maybe you would just pick up on isolationism. And it wouldn't be as connected. Right. Yeah. Again, going back I to think, what we were saying earlier, that you kind of have to seek out some of this. And you do with a lot about of About Wilson, yeah. You do, you do with a lot yeah, of Yeah, it's true. You do. You and do. I will say this. A um, lot of, uh, to, to Wilson's credit, he puts in kind of that effort and will explain these things that really get you to think about, you know, pontificate upon it a little bit more. As, a, as opposed to something where like John Anderson, he's just like, well, if you just haven't connected with the universe, then how can I explain this to you? It's like, well, okay, Take it as dude. it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. John. John, John, put, put some of that I appreciate too. <laughs> I mean, you know? sure, but, but give us like a, when I'm really trying to understand you, and you you're don't not have helping. to. You don't have to spoon feed me something, but give me uh, the spoon yeah, so that yeah. I can scoop up the food that is there. You don't have to feed Agreed. me with the spoon, but give me the spoon. Give me a tool. Yeah, I don't need spoon yeah. fed prog. I just need prog. I just need the spoon. spoon. Absolutely. Can we <laughs> I make just that need prog with a spoon? Can we, put can that we on make a that a segment? Mug? Can we put that on a coffee <laughs> mug? 
Let's make that a second. I need the spoon. Spoon Prague. I need. It's gonna the spoon. be your um, Christmas present, Drew. No. Oh, it just says Prague notes. It's a spoon with like the. Oh, that's please do. I'm gonna like engrave. Get one of those nice like engraved spoons. Please it's like, do. It's like bronze. It's like bronze. <laughs> just really. Oh man, yeah. that's something else. Rachel, you you talked about this uh, briefly about the supernatural element that that's mm-hmm. that was going on with this record and uh and we're going to be diving in track by track to to go into I know we've been talking very overarching for the past 35 minutes or so um, but we're going to go track by track to talk about some of the things that stood out to us but I just wanted to introduce the the idea of kind of the overarching concept being uh that this is almost kind of like supernatural fiction um Stephen Wilson stated that he was starting to read a lot of that classical gothic tradition late 19th century era uh, which conglomerated into an album with these short supernatural stories. Um, there's actually a book that I'm going to throw out there, and maybe you guys already saw this as well, but this book called Whistle and I'll Come to You by M.R. James. Did you guys see this or hear about this? No. I did not. No, okay. Uh, so this was, this was a book that he stated uh, was an inspiration and had an impact on him throughout the creation of these stories. And, uh, and I'll give you a brief kind of analysis. I looked up some of this stuff because I thought it was interesting. The whole story is about a uh, professor who goes, is on this beach. And uh, he's walking on the beach and finds this whistle. He picks it out of the sand and kind of dusts it off and cleans it off and, and takes it with him. When he blows into it, it is this fear that kind of comes over him of something is going to come. And it's like, what, am I whist- what is this whistling for? Who is this whistle calling? I have no idea where I, I don't no idea where the origin of this whistle comes from. The whole book, quote unquote, nothing happens, if you know what I mean. But the whole thing this is sounds this familiar. Suspense. I think I did hear this story. Yes, 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 yes. It's, it's, I've never it's heard this. Suspense. This is awesome. Yes, it's the suspense of and I if I blow this thing, what's coming? And to go and to allude to the cryptic nature of this album, I find it really interesting that literally in this book. Nothing happens. Nothing comes, but the whole thing is telling through mm-hmm. the perspective of what could come. Suspense. And I find that really – yes, it's the suspense of it. And I find that really cool because nowadays you show it. You know what I'm saying? You show the gore. You show the guy getting his head cut off. There's, the, I feel like there's a lack of that, especially in television nowadays there, and even some There movies. is a lot more fear of unknown when you don't show something than when yeah. you do. Well, just go um, back and watch Hitchcock. And like – that guy was yeah, the master of. The he still point. is the master of suspense, and you know exactly. why? It's because he doesn't. He doesn't show everything. There's that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, I, and I think there's a lost element of of that. Yeah, at least we've, more, we've lost a lot of that. We've lost a lot know? of that. It's really kind of more of the you know the Walking Dead and Stranger Things. Some of these things that are just they show the gore. They show some of the things that are like if you didn't know what was coming. Some of these supernatural elements. Maybe not Walking Dead is not supernatural. I, I, I guess, but you know. If you take some of these elements, I think it certainly goes to show uh, some of the emotions that you could evoke throughout this record, possibly. Uh, but I also wanted to say this, and although that these stories are supernatural, I think a, a powerful approach with this record is that it's it's still about people. There are people associated with each of these stories. Mm-hmm. The super, uh, the supernatural element, at least to me, is sort of secondary to the emotions felt by the characters within these stories, and that is why I think the Raven is emotionally impactful for me. Is there's there's that one is still a part to me of this. one of the most emotionally yeah. I wouldn't say for sure. absolutely. I wouldn't say secondary. I would say they, the 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 supernatural elements actually highlight the humanity. Yeah, they're they're not as something 
secondary in the sense that they are their own category. They work in tandem with that to actually yeah, most push definitely. forth yes. this sense of universal, you know, emotions that we can all feel. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying when it's yeah. just kind of like, I think what grounds it is still the, the people right. within the context. Connecting it back. And the people and has how you can connect with it. And again, like the Raven Drive Home um, and, and some of these different songs, especially with the music videos that, that show the people a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. It makes it really impactful for me. I, I think that's how you have to... Well, I, and I, I think in talking about Hand Cannot Erase, maybe that, again, is also a reason that that one connects with me somewhat more, maybe because I haven't been able to fully dig into or felt fully, you know, like I dug into the Raven on that human element. But you're, of course, you're right. But that's like, to me, Hand Cannot Erase is so human. Yes. You know, all of those yeah. feelings that Wilson digs into. And that's why, I mean, for me, you know, I mean, now I work in HR. So it's human resources, right? I, I love people. And for me, you know, until you really know somebody's story, you really don't know them. And um, yeah. I, I care about people on that very basic human level that's just raw. Um, and so you really want to be able to dig into that and connect with that that rawness and that realness. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think I agree, Drew, that the when you bring the supernatural into something – it has to be done delicately so that you don't erase or uh, cover up the human because then you will lose that connection. And mm-hmm. I think th- that is a good point. Yeah. So let's talk about Drive Home. That freaking, oh, that guitar solo, man. Oh, it's so yeah. good. It's so good. It hit me good. when I was on the way driving out here to record. Oh, I was like, oh, man, I haven't really fully paid attention yes. to this until now. And I'd listened to it a couple of times and I was like, Oh man, I'm hearing some stuff that I hadn't heard before. We've been talking a lot about uh, the lyric. I think the lyrics, the concepts and stuff like that. So I guess we should just begin there uh, talking about uh, the lyrics of Drive Home and um, uh, your opinions on interpretation or uh, overall enjoyment. So uh, Rachel, let's start with you just with with Drive Home. uh, What was just some of your observations reading through some of the lyrics. What did you pick up on with with this song? And and we'll also tie in the the music video as well along with it. Well, this one to me, when we were talking about you know cryptic versus some of his lyrics are a little that are a little less cryptic. I found this one to be one of the most clear cut to understand, mm. um, just from a, being able to just listen to the lyrics and grasp what was what was occurring. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, I know there is supposed to be this, you know, um, supernatural element of the the wife um, or the partner kind of coming back to him in a way, um, which he's described, like Wilson has described, um, as, you know, his int- intention for the song. And that's where the supernatural comes in. I don't necessarily see, I mean, you, you can allude to that or, or pick that up if you want to in the lyrics. But to me, it's also just about loss, you know, um, not even just like, somewhat being haunted in a way um and i also uh, you know feel a lot of the like survivor guilt you know that all of these very human things so drive home is one of those that i actually enjoyed a lot because for one thing it was very clear and for another thing it was done very beautifully and it was more human than some of the others i thought um at least you know getting to those kind of gut feelings of um lost, but also that probably that struggle of, I survived, my wife did not, you know, in this car crash. Yeah. That's what um, I, that was one of the things I wrote down as well as it 
kind of my interpretation of the lyrics is that this was about trauma. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. kind of the, the angle that I was thinking of because of the loss and, and blocking out blocking out memories of, of yeah. things that I don't want to re-experience again because of the trauma. So you that can was, try to move on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, and how that actually doesn't help. It, it actually because no. it in terms of the music video, how it's interpreting because uh, it, it keeps coming back. You know, it's kind of like I'm going to remind you again of, of that night. And it just keeps kind of rep, rep, you're repeating itself. So, yeah. Drew, any thoughts? I, I I had I was moving more into the music video. That's more. Oh, than music video. I have as opposed to the. To the oh, lyrics. of course, yeah. It's so yeah. good. It's so good. Um. Sh- shall I begin? Oh, dude, totally. Please do. Oh. You got a novel over there? What are you about to read? No, it's not that much. Uh, <laughs> I. It's only fifty pages. No, it's not. <laughs> Uh, I said I like how the the 2D animation is is used to reflect the memory of his past life. It's used when he's reliving the menu. Wow, the memory of the actual event itself and the moments directly beforehand, driving down the road. And then the 3D animation comes in to show him where he is now, mm. at a home, in a wheelchair as a result of the car crash. It's very cool to blend these two different animation styles to showcase different areas of his life and how they feel so incredibly different. It emphasizes how his life before the wreck seems like a completely different reality than the one he exists mm-hmm. in now. Even the memory of her brushing her hair on the side of the bed is in 2D while he is still in 3D. So it's this real, real stark juxtaposition between those two different types of an- animation. And I really love that they blend those two together because I think that is very universal for a lot of people. They see their past life, quote unquote, their memory as, well, that as a past life. They see their memory as something completely separate than what they're in now. And it just seems so hard to connect to something that they know they experienced. They were in it. Um, but I, I really love how I do that. Um, yeah, I, I, wow. You know, I this was just a theory. He's constructed out of newspaper. And I was wondering, is that supposed to be the article written in the news about the car crash? If so, I think it's supposed to represent how this has completely defined how he sees himself. Everything in his current and past life is all based around the tragic event to the point that it has consumed his entire identity. And the fact that she's also made from newspaper shows that it's the only way that he can see her now, too. The fact that he Mm. accidentally killed her. His self-image and his memory of her are all attached to that event, to that news story. So... This is what happens when you get an English major, a film major, and an audio engineer reviewing this record. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it was going to be my first question to you guys. What is the symbolism of what he's made of? And I didn't realize it was a newspaper just so much as, you know, the... And there were times where I was like, I want to pause this and, like, what words are on his face? Like, I wanted to see, is there, you know, something extra like coded in the specific words that you can see on the on the the paper like I didn't again I didn't realize it was newspaper versus just paper I was like are these all memories are these all store like of him you know because he's typing and yes he's writing letters are these also all the letters that he's completely wrapped himself up in to his wife um I, I had and I'm just now having some of these thoughts just now. So yeah, I think here. I think either way, it still alludes to the point of of the overall consumption of his life is is now because of this event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the newspaper articles or the letters that he was writing, uh, maybe to his his lost wife, uh, I think it's still it's still kind of alluding to the the consumption of his entire life is now mm-hmm. because of this event, and which is very 
think it's very delicately, delicately done uh, with the newspapers. I've got a question. Yeah, question. He throws his wife's necklace into the lake directly after the crash. And then years later, he falls and sinks to the bottom of the lake. And there, he's contemplating on just giving up and dying. And then he sees the necklace again and decides to keep on living. What is it? What is it that helps him cope with all of this and continue to have that hopeful ending? I don't have an answer. There is no right or wrong answer. I genuinely I, didn't know. I don't. I don't wonder. I don't know maybe what it is, but I, I do feel like. You know, the very last lyrics of the song, release all your guilt and grieve, give up your pain, hold up your head again. Um, I feel like this is coming directly from his wife, and that is the reason that she is kind of coming back, Mm -hmm. to be able to help him through these memories. Mm. Like, don't forget me, but be able to move on. Mm -hmm. Because it was a car crash. It was not your fault just because you were driving. Like, you know, that kind of thing. This was an accident, and you don't need to be dealing with this survivor guilt any longer. Mm -hmm. So for me, I feel like, you know, maybe that is the turning point point in his life where he is able to, with the symbolism of the necklace, able to realize that this is the reason that she's kind of been, he's been seeing her, you know, and and been somewhat haunted, but haunted not in a negative sense. Cause I know we use that word haunt negatively implying that a ghost is after you for some vengeance, you know? Um, But I don't think that haunt necessarily has to be, you know, I mean, it is a negative word, but it doesn't have – yeah, it does not have to be torment. It's just, you know, a supernatural, you know, um, being coming back to your – you know, to you. Yeah. So. My interpretation of that has been she's made up of the newspaper, correct, um, when when she comes back. I actually thought that the uh, the necklace was actually more of the symbolism of her beauty hmm. rather than looking at her and seeing the event. I don't remember – was she wearing it? The crash or something like that? I think so. I don't so. remember. I think, I think so. Because he throws yeah. it into the lake, assuming that it was with him it. during the event or on yeah. her. And it's mm-hmm. part of her. So, yeah, yeah. I was either thinking that or it was of more of like the other symbolism that I was thinking of was that if they crashed into a lake, it was giving that back to her to release the the trauma. Throwing the necklace into the lake, which I don't know the intention if it was an angry thing or if it was more of like i'm letting go and i'm giving this back to you this portion back to you so i can well, i think it's on. i think it's an angry thing because that he, he throws it in w- like right after and then the he event. picks it up again later and later on right? again, yeah. yeah so i think the yeah. act of throwing it in there is this yeah it may and it may have been his attempt to forget i'm going to get rid of this i'm going to take care of all of this stuff in my life mm-hmm. but yep. of course he's still continually made up of either letters or newspaper or like mm-hmm. his whole life by tra- like kind of like we were talking about you know with, with trauma you need to feel the trauma. You need to embrace um, at the right time. But when you've gone through a traumatic experience, at some point you need to start unpacking it instead of yep. repressing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so her ghost is there to help him unpack it uh, and maybe, you know, almost drowning in the lake himself and then seeing her, you know, um, her necklace that he had tried to discard so long ago and repressed. Maybe it's a hey, I can actually hold on to this now. I can hold her memory and appreciate her memory and be able to move on. Yeah, that's good. So where is home? When he says drive home, what does that mean? That's a good... Are you thinking that home is... Is her or home is... That was my first knee-jerk reaction was was her. I don't know, Drew. You tell me, man. 
Yeah, what do you think, Drew? So I <laughs> He has the answer. He's just withholding I, it. I don't, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> I don't. This was withholding. not this was a shoot. <laughs> no, no, it was just a, just throwing up. But yeah, I mean I was thinking her. I got the reference, Rachel. Um Thank you. Yeah. Um for any arrested development fans out there. Uh no, you would. But I guess at first I was thinking that when he's driving home, he's driving himself down into the the memory of who she is rather than what if kind of referring back to what Rachel was saying about her kind of giving him this message of, Hey, from, you know, maybe a divine intervention standpoint, she's coming back to tell him to move on until that point though, his idea of home is her. And not only that, but the memory of her. And so he's trying to drive home. And I think by the end of the song, home is not necessarily living in that memory anymore. It is, it is moving on to a, a home of, I think home is healing. I think home is supposed to be mm-hmm. synonymous with healing. Driving home is supposed to be approaching uh, restoration. Approaching uh, that's good. healing. So that's, yeah, that's what good. drive home is. is what, And that's what she's trying to tell him is don't drive home into this. this what you think of home is just the memory of something um, that was good and then became horrible. And now that's how you've kind of set up the, the entire paradigm of your life. But driving home now is approach healing. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. That's yeah, good. Yeah, and if you if you look at the the chorus, you know, you need to clear away all the jetsam in your brain mm-hmm. and face the truth. This you know, this process mm-hmm. of facing the truth of what happened, love can make amends. So her his love coming back to help him, you know, while the darkness always ends, bringing that cycle of repression to Hopeful. a close, you know. Yeah. Um and again, there's a little bit of um melancholy and darkness here. It's you're still alone. So so drive home. Yes, you may be alone now, but driving home is drive to, yeah, I like that, Drew, drive to the healing. You know, there there can be a new home, hmm. you know, and she can still be, a, her memory can still be a part of that instead mm-hmm. of trying to repress it or repress it or either be, a, ignore. Or be obsessed with it yeah. e- or be ignore or become obsessed sure, with it. Sure, yeah. Either or is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. What a, what a tremendous song. So yeah. good. And the guitar solo too. I have a quote from Steven where he was talking about, you know, Guthrie Govan's solo that he played. He says, uh, Guthrie's playing is just sublime. That, for me, is the memory of this song. I had done a solo on the demo knowing that I wanted uh, an epic solo at the end. And in the studio, we did four or five takes, and each time Guthrie would reinvent the idea of what the solo could be. The particular solo we chose was either the first or the second one. It was so inspired and had such a beautiful sense of logic and storytelling to it. It's one take, unedited, and it's just unbelievably brilliant. And it's improvised. He didn't plan anything. It was such a moving experience to hear him play it. I was almost in tears. Stephen Wilson. So I, I get a lot of David Gilmore comfortably numb vibes when I listen to it. I don't know. I'm like, maybe that's just me. Um, but I feel like the way that that solo makes me feel and comfortably numb, how I get so immersed yeah. in the beauty of it. So maybe the, it's not even that the guitar playing sounds the same, but for some reason I'm like, I'm driving, I'm driving to see, you know, to see you Destin so that we can record and I'm hearing this and just, it's, I don't know. It just hit me. And then that was after listening to it several times. So that's another thing I do love about music is that at different times it can impact you in different ways. And it's the same mm-hmm. damn song you've listened to 50 billion times, you know, but it's, um, 
yeah, I, I think it just, the emotion that I finally gathered from that solo just linked to me so perfectly with Comfortably Numb and what I feel like every time I hear it. <laughs> yeah. Counterpoint. Similar themes, too. Counterpoint. Yeah, counterpoint. counterpoint. Counterpart. stupid. What? I don't like it. <laughs> oh, my God. What? I was just waiting. For, I was waiting to see what Destin's face was going to oh, be like. Was, holy crap! I was like, "Wait, what?" No. Oh I just, man! I just wanted to derail all of that. That's that's really funny. Um, hey, I actually have a. Uh, a we can move. We can move on to the Raven. Uh, but I do have a, a book recommendation for anybody. As we've been talking on the subject of loss and trauma, it's a book called "The Body Keeps the Score." It's by Bessel van der Kolk. Um, understanding it's an incredible book for understanding trauma its effect on your body and how to Mm -hmm. heal from it and so uh just a just a little recommendation there um from your boy the next song the raven that refused to sing i've got i've got a little thing here i've got a brief synopsis of what it is we didn't really do it got a little thing you could gather from context you You can gather you got it It is a car crash and the guy's dealing with it and that's it. So more trauma, <laughs> more <laughs> super yeah, simplifying, oversimplifying. Yeah, that was just the Raven that refused to sing. Here's mine. I'm going to hijack the conversation again. All right, um, go, bro. An old man whose sister died when they were both quite young is still grieving the loss of his sister. They were very close, and it has come to eat away at his soul, at his core. You can tell because of how haggard he looks. This is from the music video. His cheeks are sallow and gaunt. He is hunched over. There's no life in his eyes. They are just turbid and white. He always looks exhausted and sad. Darkness, despair, grief, and anxiety are constantly creeping in around him, so close to consuming him. He's trying to run away from this, and the only thing that seems to be his shield against all of this is the memory of his sister, which appears to him after a raven sings out in the woods. Man becomes convinced that this raven can summon the memory of his sister, which seems to be the only thing the man is clinging to anymore. So in an effort to see his sister again, he cages and traps the bird in the hope that it will sing for him again so he can see his sister. When the bird does not sing, he gets afraid and angry and hurts the bird. He releases the raven into the realm where his sister now dwells, perhaps the afterlife. He's releasing his dependence on the memory of his sister, what the raven represents, to the great beyond, if you like. He contemplates joining her rather than being stuck in constant torment with the life he uh, he has now, but he doesn't. He walks off smiling into a bright sunrise in the background, and I think the end shows that the character has something to look forward to. He's no longer depending on her memory to keep him safe. Instead, he's happy knowing he will see, he will again see his sister one day. He has hope, something to look forward to. All right, that was it. Hmm. But now you know kind of what the music video is about and everything. Yeah. You know what I love about this too? And this is kind of going uh, a point to what was said earlier in some of the reviews about some of the people saying that it's like overtly prog. Mm -hmm. I like the the simplicity of this music. It doesn't seem to be intellectual or obtuse just for the sake of it. It, I just, I don't know that for some reason when I, when I hear this, I don't think of the thoughts that were said in the reviews earlier. I'll say this. I never really gave my overall impressions. I mean, I kind of compared it to Hank and Race, but in and of itself, I think this record's good. It's all right. This is a masterpiece. The title track is, the, to me, the crown jewel of the record. I like Drive Home, but The Raven that reviews the thing, and maybe it's because I was also interest, introduced to it with the music video, which is sublime. The music video, yes. I think, really, really highlights the power of this song. 
I think it's a good song in and of itself. When you when you watch it, because the animation's amazing. As with a lot of other yes. Wilson stuff, it's it's animated. It's not like a live capture, you know, the band singing in front of the camera type of deal like we see a lot nowadays. Um, because he's arti- you know he's artistic. He likes kind of art rock kind of stuff. It's Alan Parsons. Alan Parsons is art rock. So that finds its way into this music video, and it's really really cool the the design of the characters and big shout out so Jess Cope was the director however the person who actually designed the characters in both in both Drive Home um, and the Raven that refused to sing is Hayo Mueller I could totally be yes. mispronouncing that I'm sorry yes but, I remember seeing that name yeah um, the design of the characters is brilliant it's very simple um, there's not a crazy amount of detail um, per se. But that mm-hmm. just puts it just, just makes it so much more raw. I mean, it just makes it so real um, mm-hmm. that he is just kind of in a very animated fashion, in a very dramatic fashion, just absolutely defeated this man. He is done. He is a husk of what he was, 100%. I mean, he is, you know, mm-hmm. just the, the frown lines on his face, the fact that his eyes, you don't even have a pupil, they are turbid, right? They have kind of this cloudiness to them. Um, and all of that. And I love the fact also, it's really interesting how it's almost like a puppet, right? It's this puppet animation where you've got like yes. the, the, mm-hmm. the, the joints, right? The pinpoints where his arm can move and where it doesn't. Yes. And um, yep. they kind of do almost this like construction paper sort of deal. I mean, it's not construction paper, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. This, this it's a very type different of, kind of animation. Right. It's yeah. a very different type of animation. We're used to seeing things very There's a fluid. lot of texture to it. There's, it's a very yeah. fluid type of animation that we're used to with stuff like Walt Disney or Crud, pick your favorite animation mm-hmm. studio. But this is um, you know, more kind of has an indie feel to it. And you've got these kind of rigid joints, visible joints. Like you see the pinpoints where they're supposed to be moving, yeah. right? It's like your elbow and all that. Um, that these completely different pieces of his body, you can see visibly where they attach. It's not nearly as fluid. So um, that is just a very unique style. Um, I haven't seen that mm-hmm. very often at all in, in any sort of animation. Uh, very often, so I, I think that that's brilliant, um, and just yep. gives it a very, um, a very. I say basic has a negative connotation, but I guess raw is kind of what people use raw. nowadays. Yeah. I, I think that the music video really highly encourage anyone listening. If you're if you listen to this record, check out both the music videos are great. Yeah, particularly this one. This one had a huge impact on me. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think even also talking about the music too that the. the the king of texture. Yeah. There's two riffs. There's two riffs thing. in this entire song. Yeah. The way and he the way it. that he introduces guitars and the way that he introduces the arrangements of the strings. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. That's what gets My me. My gosh. And the big that Mellotron wall too. That combined with the actual strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Unbelievable. And I mean, I learned how to play it on piano kind oh, of in preparation nice. for it. Because I was like, I just want to see what this does. I want to see what this song does with the piano. Because mm-hmm. it's a, you know, the piano is the beginning of the song and it ends the song. And so I was like, where does the piano go? Nowhere. It yeah. stays the same yeah. throughout yeah. the entire song. And I was yeah. like, oh, so I can play the entire, the entirety of the song on piano. And I'm not a great piano player, but that's just because it's very repetitive and it's the, a brilliant, excellent use of texture and layering. I was about to, to say, degree that adds I these have layers. Ne- unbelievable, mm-hmm. man. I mean, well, it's just think unbelievable. Think about like, so, yes. how delicate it is when the raven starts to sing the little, that kind of, you know, yes. that kind yeah, of uh, yeah. talk and box use, type using, of deal. Using auto-tuning. Yeah, like auto-tuning in talk box yeah. as, as an effect. And uh, 
rather than a, a correction tool. No, yeah, you know, because and, it's and, it's, uh, this, it's this it's supposed to emulate this kind of etheric quality that he's seeing. He's yeah. hearing something that is supernatural, yeah. like we alluded to earlier. These are all supernatural. Absolutely. Stories. Yeah, Absolutely. And, but it's so and delicate, so, I mean, it's not it's overused, it's this tiny little voice that the man hears, and it really, really strikes something in him. Mm-hmm. And even the way it ends, too, the, 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 the piano notes just playing those singular notes up on the high part of the scale, and you see the footprints. Oh my gosh, man. Counterpoint. That is so It's so stupid. Good. Don't stop. <laughs> oh, I hate that. That's unreal. Uh, Rachel, any any thoughts on, on The Raven? No, I, I love this song too because of, again, it being something that's very um, connectable, very real, and uh, just so, so much raw emotion in this song. Um, I think for me, and again, I, I do understand the point, Wilson's voice at the beginning is a little... It's a little uh, abrasive for me. Mm. Some of some of the vocals, um, not as bad as the pin drop. It, okay, <laughs> that is my least. Uh, if we're gonna knew, open that one. I up, knew that's you my hate least favorite that. song on the record. I knew you would. Yeah, hate I do not care for the pin drop at yeah. all. Um, all right, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was like, oh geez, um, but no, that I, um, I like the way that the song. What you were mentioning, the way the song builds. Um, because by the time you get to the end though, it's just that, that melody of the speak to me, Raven, you know, like that part is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that part to me is my, my favorite. Um, I understand, you know, the beginning and you have to have that build. Um, yeah. so I can get through that because then when, you know, all of the rest of the like street, every, everything else comes in, it's just like all immersive in this guy's sorrow and his um, longing, you know, um, just these very raw emotions that even if you've never, because I, you know, I, I have never experienced the loss of a parent or a sibling or someone that close to me. Um, I've had grandparents pass and and other people that mattered greatly to me, but there is, especially you know, between generations there's this feeling of they are supposed to pass before I go before me, you know, uh, at a certain point. Um, and so it's, it's hard to deal with any kind of loss, but I've never had the loss of someone in, in, in like a traumatic way like that mm-hmm. in my life before. So in some ways um, you would think, Oh, well you wouldn't be able to identify with this song, but I think that loss reverberates for humans in not just the loss and, and not just death. Um, yeah. Loss could be anything that somebody feels like they have really lost in their life, whether yeah. it's a permanent death or just, uh, you know, a part of your life that's, you know, or a heartbreak or, or, you know, a breakup or something like that. I mean, it can, it can hurt you and imprint itself upon your heart uh, in a way that nobody else understands. But I think you can identify with that, with that feeling in this yeah. song, it's no matter the, what uh, that loss is for you, it doesn't have to be death. It's the it's the sympathy versus the empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to you can empathize with every single one of the songs with the emotions that are being. Wait, is that right? Empathy is the no. feeling, but sympathy is the. Am I no. flipping that? Is that so, backwards? Yeah, sympathy is. I am sympathetic. Yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. Empathy yeah, 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 yeah. Is, you have empathy is. I have experienced. Y'all know that. what I'm saying, all right? Just yeah, let yeah, me yeah. go. Jeez, let me. Destin, I'm sorry. Just kidding. Destin. I'm I'm gonna leave. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. Oh, quote, quote from Steve, quote from Stephen Wilson on this. I love the simplicity of certain phrases. What's special about being, being, about being to say, I love you, but in a new way. It's hard to do that. There's such cliches in a way, being afraid to love someone, being in love with someone. If you can find a way to make these things sound fresh again, that's really a special thing to do. Mm -hmm. I would agree that he did that really, really well with this song. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful song. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. It's kind of bumming me out. Yeah. It's Wilson's okay. kind of thing. It's Wilson's thing. Cliche. I'm going to change the script. Let's talk about Luminol. Luminol is this really, really great song. And it brings really so much life and spirit to my life. And so uh, I just meaning. hope that it did the same. It had so many... <laughs> Yeah, it's basically walking on sunshine part two. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, right. uh, that was the idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's the idea. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and flip some happiness. Uh, happiness three. Anyway, uh, luminol. Let's jump into this. And I know that we're going a little over time. Uh, we'll we'll be a little bit more brief, I guess, with these with these other tracks because there's. They don't have the music videos with them, but we can still do it in some interpretations. I'm just going to open up Luminol with Stephen Wilson's own words. This is a story about a street musician, a busker. It was inspired by a guy who plays in my local town. He's there every single day. It doesn't matter what the weather is like. He's always there playing his acoustic guitar and singing these songs. Snow, rain, gale force, wind. Nothing will stop him from being in his spot. And the thing is, he's terrible. <laughs> Absolutely rubbish. He never seems to get any better, no matter how much he plays these songs. And I'm one of the many people who pass him every day. He's part of the street furniture in a way. And I started, I suddenly started thinking, what would happen, God forbid, if he just dropped dead in the middle of the street one day? Would people even notice that he was no longer there? Then I had another thought. He's the kind of guy who is so set in his routine that even death wouldn't stop him. So I had this vision that he would drop dead one day but the next day, he'd be back in the same spot playing the same songs just like he always did. This kind of idea that somebody could be a ghost in life, referencing Hand Cannot Erase, as well as a ghost in death, somebody who's completely ignored, even in their lifetime, Hand Cannot Erase, it hardly makes a difference. And death doesn't make a difference either. It doesn't break the routine. That's the story behind Luminol. It was the first piece I wrote with these musical personalities in mind. We did play it live on the second part of the Grace for Drowning tour, kind of as an experiment to see how it would fit with everybody and also see how the audience would react. And that all worked out very well. Interesting concept behind the story. And that was the first thing that came to mind was the tie-ins to Hand Cannot Erase that would come mm. at this point two years later. He's kind of assuming the personality of a nihilist here. I don't think that he is. But, mm -hmm. like, personally, Stephen was. I don't think he is. He has oh, a lot of emotion. Okay. He has a fine, a lot of... But, like, the perspective of this seems very nihilistic. It's like, this, nothing matters. <laughs> we end up returning to dust. Like, yeah, you keep on playing, but there's no purpose. There's no real hope. And you know he's not nihilistic because he has messages of hope at the end of The Raven and the end of Drive Home and stuff like that. Yeah. But this particular one is, like, way to, way to open a record here, man. Way to open it up here. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's also another thing... Uh, what is, what is Luminol? Uh, if you guys know, I have or that. anybody who listening uh, know what Lum, knowing what Luminol is, I have it too. But I will let you uh, share. No, that's uh, what okay. it was because I was like, what the heck is what the heck is this word? Um, I didn't know what it was prior 
to researching it. Neither did I. It's it's a chemical that produces light when combined with other chemicals. I mean, so that's that's what a luminal is. This this particular in specific, uh, this production of light is called chemilu. Wow, chemiluminescence, as opposed to bioluminescence. Um, forensic scientists use luminol at crime scenes to detect trace amounts of blood. The iron in the blood reacts with the luminol chemical to release energy in the form of a blue glowing light. So so it's not seen unless you apply something correct. to it. It's not seen unless you apply something to it. I think that the title of this song is kind of referring to that sense of our own individual legacies. Like, are, will we make enough of an impression to leave some sort of glow? Are we yep. significant enough to be detected by the luminol? Yep. Well, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm just going to let the English major take this one, and I'm going to leave. So. <laughs> no. no, but no, for real, I, though, Rachel, thoughts, yeah. Uh, you know, I um, I love Luminal. Uh, this is probably my favorite song. Um, I just think Really? That, I, it's really interesting that, that I would say that. I know, but I, I actually just think from the music perspective, it is yeah. so, it's a it's a fun song. Um, and I guess talking about the music, this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to it one day in, in the office actually. And I was taking a couple of notes. And the very first thing I wrote was Jethro Tull vibes, mm. like the, the, flute the flute in it. I got so much feelings of so many feelings of Jethro Tull. Um, I also, I am drawn to the melancholy as, as much as I enjoy the hopeful too. And I like, I don't like the message of this song as far as it being like a positive sure. one, yeah. but I enjoy, um, especially the last two lines of the, um, the song, the words he sings are not his own. They speak of things he'll never know. Implying that, um, and to me, this is again, more of a human connection than it has to do with like the supernatural idea of like he could die, but then just still be in the same place. And he never breaks his routine implying that that routine has clearly trapped him, you know, because he has, um, he's not getting out of where he's at to be able to have his own real life experiences, right? Hmm. Other than sitting there playing the guitar on the side of the street. Yeah. Um, and not well, (laughs) you know, as Steven's saying, Uh but, um, so he's singing about things that he himself has never experienced, things that he does not know. Um, And that's a very sad thing, you know, um, that you could have things in your life that, or things that you can't identify with because you yourself have just trapped yourself into this little box, you know, um, that you could very well experience some of the things that you may be singing about or wanting to even experience, but you're so trapped by this routine, um, kind of that links to, uh, to hand canon race mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Um, you're so trapped by this routine that the routine for one thing has isolated you, you know, would anybody notice if you just dropped dead? Um, and, you also have no concept of the things that you're trying to share, which may be one reason why you're not a very good player (laughs) because you haven't experienced anything else to be able, you know, true art needs to come from within you. And if you have nothing that you're sharing with people from yourself, then it's going to fall flat. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I just, I like the last two lyrics of the song and I like what it's saying, even though it is depressing. Yeah. That's a great thought though. I am, I am convinced that, because he said here that this is one of this is the first piece that he wrote for this record. 
and with the thought of, you know, would anybody notice if this guy just dropped dead? And then hearing about the story of the woman who did and no one noticed. Yep. I believe that right there is the train of like, oh, well, I had this thought and it actually happened. Oh, I got to do an album about that now. I'm convinced that's what happened. Just like, I wonder if this would happen. It has, Stephen. Oh, we're going to write an album about it. And then just goes on to write hand. Plot twist. Every single (laughs) Stephen Wilson solo album is actually part of a unified story. Oh, well, when we get to the future bites, that'll be interesting. You know, it's part of it. It's part of it. It's a genre it's twist, but it's it's just a different chapter. It's in the, a genre in the twist, but but it's oh, it is man. all part of a unified story. And I guarantee you, in the next, I'm calling it now. I'm calling it now. In the next like ten years, he's gonna come out and he's gonna say, "Hey, I'm whoa, gonna blow your mind." Whoa, minds. whoa, whoa, the slurring. All right, I'm gonna blow your mind. <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna come out. All I promise. I promise. He's going. This is all the same. So these characters actually link here. It's like the Pixar thing with Disney. Right, yeah, it's right, the, the theory right. that everything's connected. Everything's connected. Yeah. Everything. Guys, everything's connected. <laughs> so yeah. let me tell you guys something. Uh, I synced this album up with Dark Side of the Moon. And uh, in fact, it worked. <laughs> uh, it works. Uh, just, just letting you guys know. Uh, no wonder Alan Parsons was a part of it. Uh, no, I'm kidding. That's that's all a complete lie. Anyway, that's Luminol. Uh, Did you like my Stephen Wilson any, impression? Any other, that, that was great. That he actually sounds like this. Like the whole That's British thing horrible. is actually like completely fake, and like he actually just like really sounds like this. If he ever I'm heard this, the holy he'll, he'll never come on the show if he hears this, because it'd be like, why, <laughs> why would you do that? These guys are idiots. Yeah, they're horrible. Anyway, uh, holy drinker. Um, I have a quote from from Stephen on this. I can I can kind of open it up with that. This guy's in a bar and he challenges the stranger next to him to a drinking competition without realizing that this person is the devil. Of course, you can't beat the devil in a drinking competition, and so he loses. That's kind of funny to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't beat the devil at a drinking competition. Stephen Wilson. Just put that on a shirt. Anyway, the great irony is that he's vindicated in a sense, but in the worst possible way, he gets dragged to hell. It's kind of funny, but the music is quite dark. Starts off with a three-minute instrumental section before the vocals come in, and that initial part is pretty furious. Is a pretty furious rush of energy. I believe I was thinking of the uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra when I wrote it. A lovely Moog solo by Adam, kind of a classic Jan Hammer style, and lots of dirty keyboard sounds, which I love. I love those dirty keyboard sounds that he does. I love the very end section, which is very evil sounding. People think it's a guitar, but it's actually a Fender Rhodes put through a distorted amp. And, and this is the part I wanted to, to come to because I, I really I really like this, what he has to say here, and I think Drew will have a thought on this. A lot of these songs have different motifs that crop up, and I like that. One of the hallmarks of bad progressive rock, if we can use that term, I'm fairly ambivalent about it, is that it's simply a bunch of sections strung together that don't really belong. This idea of giving gravity and weight by stringing bits together, that's easy. I could get a bunch of ideas that are half-formed, put them all together into a 20-minute epic and say, now I'm an artist, quote-unquote. A lot of bad progressive rock, particularly modern neo-prog, sounds like that to me. It's like they couldn't write a decent song, so they just came up with a lot of half-ideas and put them together to make them sound substantial. It doesn't work for me, and what I like to do is have these sections flower from the same musical source. Yeah, it's not really anything having to do with the Holy Drinker, at least for the first half of it. But I found that 
And it just made me laugh because I think we've had conversations like that on the show. Uh, we talked about that with the uh, Shrine of New Generation Slaves. We were talking about transitions yes. in Prague. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we also had yep. another conversation as well about Neo Prague when we talked about Misplaced Childhood mm-hmm. uh, by Marillion. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, musically, I, I really like this song. Oh, Some of the too. bass fills that are going on, oh, yeah. the, the dirty keyboard work. Yeah. Um, and just this guitar part, how he does that thing. Like that yeah. whole like walk down into those chords. Super cool. And uh, and Steven hitting some high notes in the register there with some of the Mellotron and stuff going on. It's a fun song. It's yeah. a fun song. It is. Uh, well, he was asking, well, he, he said, you, you, you want these sections to flower from the same musical source. That's what he wants to yes. do. And my question was, do you think that he succeeds? My answer is, at least in this song in particular, I think he does. I think he succeeds. The sections not only flow into each other very well, but they have mm-hmm. a, a similar kind of dark feeling to them as if they're all connected to the same sense of hysterical, perhaps even angry, freneticism. So I uh, I like this song. Well, too. Even, even something more literal, like The Raven That Refused to Sing, I mean, it all comes from the same musical source. It's the same riff, yeah. you know? And so even if it's the source of tonality or source of emotion or source of literally the the structure of what they're writing. Um, I think that's what makes Stephen Stephen, at least in the modern prog world, why he why he's noted as the kind of the king of modern prog. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but I, I honestly, I mean, when I was looking at this and reading some of these lyrics and looking at some of the music, I. I just enjoy the song. I really don't have a whole lot of like in-depth thoughts about this. I don't know if you guys do, but please share if you do. I, I don't, I'm, I got nothing. It's very literal what you read, you know? I mean, you have to t- kind of take it as, as that. I think what you, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, Dustin, when in the quote that you said from Wilson, but mm-hmm. you know, you said it about a man meeting another man in, you know, a bar and you know, it actually ended up being the devil. Um, I had information that obviously the holy drinker is referring to the other, the actual, the human, the man is religious. So there's this huge amount of hypocrisy that is also being like in this entire event, like him, you know, um, encountering the devil and then the devil challenging him to a drinking contest. Um, something that is like a, something that he struggles with. And yet he's this pious, you know, religious person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of humanity there. Um, things that we all struggle with, regardless of whether you're in the church or what, you know, whatever position that you have. Um, and so, um, yeah. I but I, I, I like the song, you know, and yeah, probably more from a musical perspective than from a lyrical one. Yeah, so. I would I would agree with that. That I sums think, up. Well, at Adding to that, I think that's what also, to me, makes the song even more hysterical and kind of disturbing. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to put you yeah. in this disturbing thing is the hypocrisy there. Is yeah. this you're supposed to Absolutely. be legitimately representing, you know, these, these, and not just surface level, but like in actuality, in, in your daily life, you are supposed to be practicing and representing a virtuous life as best you can. And then this, this vice is all the more chaotic and consuming and terrifying because yeah you know it is it is the release of all the i don't know the sin or whatever you know so that's where he channels all of it this is almost um dark humor 
Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think what yeah. this song really adds overall is the variety that this record includes, um, and how it doesn't just have one face of of uh, sadness, um, but uh, also has a little bit more of an edge. Um, even even though musically, Drive Home has edge to me, and Luminal has edge, but just sort of emotionally, kind of the, the emotions that are evoked from the songs. So. Yeah. This has a sense of madness to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That the yeah. others don't really have so much of. I think the pin drop is the, is one of the two songs that I think is kind of specifically about uh, marriages. Or relationships. These are these is this is what I was yeah. picking up on. The yeah. pin drop and the watchmaker seem to be about mm-hmm. uh, relationships and marriages. Um, well, and, and drive home as well. Yeah, yeah, drive home. Um, yeah. All right. So, so, what what is the pin drop? What's it What's it about? So, uh, what I have, um, and you know, I'm having to present this to Rachel, so I'm gonna have to see if I can do this well. Um, so I have the song that I see was I I was getting a sense of that the pin drop uh, was sung from a wife's perspective. She's gone, dead, and from beyond, kind of beyond the grave, she's singing this song. That that's sort of the the picture that I was getting. The pin drop, like what's the pin drop? I think to me that was it was sort of about this this relationship that's that's unhealthy. Uh, they don't communicate. There's a lot of unspoken resentment, a lot of unspoken, uh, I think, just sort of attention that's there. And I think it's almost like where you're walking on eggshells with somebody in a relationship to where the tiniest thing can set off an ep- a violent episode. And in this case, it ends in literally her death. The sound of a pin dropping to the floor could be the thing that just blows everything up. Just it, it, the pin. The pin drop was was something that is instigating this rage. Um, that was what I got from this. She's dead, killed by him, and she's almost like coming back and and speaking to him, saying, "I had no idea that this was going to be the thing that set you off. The pin drop was the tiniest thing that could instigate the madness, at least." Um, anyway, that's what I got. Anything to add on that, of course? I I have a slightly different interpretation. Okay. So, seriously, very slightly, because it's in a similar it's in a similar vein. Um, it's yeah, I, I get the idea of of, and maybe it's because I, I read some of what Wilson had had said about the what the story is about. But I did have my own kind of interpretation. I said, this is a love story gone wrong. It's a husband who does not appreciate his spouse. Um, Similar to what you were saying. To me, this is the story of a woman who is tired of struggling in her marriage and just wants some relief. But she hates that the end she is expecting is so bitter. So for me, the crux of the song comes at, I did not hear the pin drop, right? I did not hear my heart. To me, this says that there were all of these subtle moments in their relationship where it may not have been overt, but it, it was clear there was an issue. And deep down in her heart, I did not hear my heart, uh, she knew something was wrong, but she decided to ignore it. Uh, she pretended to not hear the pin drop 
because you know these issues because it was so slight, so seemingly insignificant. But then all of these moments bubble up and they culminate up to this realization that she's just being carried away on a metaphorical current, which is an unhappy, unloving relationship that just keeps going. Why does it keep going? Well, perhaps it's just because the way it is. You get used to the routine of marriage, the security, the comfort of not changing, etc., etc. So she feels powerless to change the current, the metaphorical, you know, body of water, and now she's being swept away by it, knowing that it will ultimately be her demise, whether that be spiritually or physically. So, and I think, I think, hmm. if, with that interpretation, who knows? That's my personal interpretation. But I think the music does complement it well. It does a good job of reflecting a sense of repetitive, rushing water. It feels like something is moving beyond your control. And maybe that could be more of a, uh, if you're looking at kind of the, the message of the story, maybe it's about um, as soon as you become comfortable, you stop growing. And once something becomes convenient, and, and comfortable to you, we can get so used to it that now we're more attached to the comfort rather than the love or empathy with and the you, person. You stop putting effort. Right. You know, you stop right. investing in a very active way yep. because you are comfortable. Um, yeah. And again, I don't think that means that you should feel discomfort in a relationship that, you know, the other side of that coin is also not good. That's also an indication that there's something wrong, but there's a difference between getting comfortable to the point of complacency yep. um, versus um, this is comfortable because this feels right. And I want to continue putting effort into this so that we can continue to grow together. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting song. Rachel, you said that this was your least favorite on the record. Is yeah. that right? It is. It is. From, it is. from what perspective? What was kind of the, the from reason? From a musical perspective, too. Okay. Yeah. yeah, those opening um, vocals just, are not welcoming. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah, that and just, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It, it falls flat for me. It, it just falls flat for me. And, and even the message. I mean, I, no, I don't, I, I don't know. It. I, I think that there's a little more depth in some of his other songs than there is in this one. Yeah. No, that's understandable. Not that that's not a deep thing that we're discussing, like relationships and things like that. Those are, you know, things that people should discuss. And, and that's a, those are deep things that you could easily dig into for quite a bit longer. But yeah, the song itself to me just lacks some depth. Kind of flat. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. Uh, I have a quote here on the, the opening line or the opening vocals. Um, he said, uh, with this band, of course, talking about the, the supporting musicians, I've been able to concentrate more on being a singer. I tried something a bit different. I opened up my throat and sang in a less contained, less controlled way. I was very inspired by a singer called Nick Harper. He's the son of Roy Harper. So it's Roy Harp, Rory Harper's son. They both sing in a very dramatic way that I love. And I was thinking of Nick when I did the vocals. And then he also goes on to talk about Guthrie. He says, Guthrie plays another extraordinary solo towards the end. This time we fed it through a Leslie cabinet, which I love Leslie's. And he also says that I'm a big fan of Leslie's. A lot of people associate them with the past, but I think it's a timeless sound. I'll put anything through a Leslie guitar, keyboards, vocals. It's such a wonderfully rich sound. And I have to agree that I loved uh, the guitar solo on this song, even though it's very short. Um, and this is obviously the shortest song on the record. Um, Thank God. I, I, I mean, also, <laughs> I, and I also saw this. I also saw this too. I also saw that they did more takes of this song than hmm. any any other song on the record. 
Um, and I think it was because of kind of builds and sort of changes texture, I think in many different ways in a short amount of time. And I think that was maybe something that they were having to try and capture um, in this song. But yeah, once again, Drew, any, any, any thoughts on the pin drop? No, I just had my interpretation. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm glad he tried it out. Something Basically. new with the singing. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, glad he tried. Yeah, I'm really rock. glad he tried something, man. That's progressive rock. That's right. We Appreciate tried. you, dude. Yeah. That's really great. Ball. See if it works. Okay, here we go. The Watchmaker. Segway. Just going to use that right there. Um, now this is the last song, of course, uh, that the that or the last song that we haven't talked about so far. Um, I guess I'll do the same thing with this. I'll open up with another quote that I found from him. Uh, another adventure. This is the story of the watchmaker, a guy who is meticulous about his craft, but he never has any kind of emotional outburst, nor does he express violence or any extreme emotions whatsoever. It's the idea of a couple who have been together for 50 years or more purely just because it was convenient and comfortable. Again, kind of ties in with what we were talking about with the pin drop. Uh, there's a line that says something like, you were just meant to be temporary while I waited for gold. Gosh, that's bad. So it's the idea that they got together almost because they didn't want to be in a situation where they weren't dating somebody and they've ended up together for 50 years, even though there was never a strong feeling of love between them. Um, If you allow yourself, life can pass you by. Time is tick, tick, ticking away. And here's what I I underlined this part right here, uh, because I think this is kind of the crux of the thought of, of summing up this. Um, If you're not careful, you can find that your whole life has gone by with the idea of maybe I'll do this one day. It's a very sad sentiment of regret of what should what should have been and what could have been. Sometimes that feeling of comfort can be a real drug. Anyway, um, can we just talk about how this totally sounds like Genesis? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it does because they use a lot of flute in there. I mean, you mentioned Jethro Tull earlier, too, but... But this beginning sounds like a Peter Gabriel flute type of deal, as opposed to a, as to an Ian Anderson type of flute playing. Like it's softer; it's yep. not nearly as intense or fast or, you know, super riffy, right? I mean, yep. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, it just sounds like this. Just sounds like Steve Hackett. Like this part, this part right here. I love it. It's like so pretty. And that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounds really like, and even even the arpeggios. even the vocals too. And I know that Rich, you'll you'll. Maybe you'll see this and, and may have the same perspective here, but the, a lot of kind of the uh, intertwining harmony vocals that he does with this reminds me of a lot of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. That oh wow of, yeah you know, you know what I'm talking about there, a lot of that yeah I definitely yes and, and he's yeah, kind of he's I get kind of intertwining it. Uh, them in and I'm hearing uh, cathedral I'm hearing multi part yeah, yeah multi part yeah. harmonies that are there and uh, I love that. and the bass sounds. That those high well, like, and now you've got right here in the background Mellotron's mm. going throughout, which he uses very frequently mm-hmm. throughout on this record. Yeah, on that's this what I'm record saying. for sure. Yeah, on this record, yeah. that's yeah, why yeah. it's kind of like this is overtly prog, which we didn't really touch on. Like some of the elements, I mean, we've kind of referenced them here and there, but yeah, um, like why why certain people may think that it's too prog is because it just employs a lot of the a, a lot of the the early stuff. Um, the Mellotrons, you've got some classical stuff. You've got woodwinds in there too. You've got the classic rock. You've got a lot of keyboards and a lot of synthesizers that crud. There's a section in, what is it? A Holy Drinker. I think, um, that is super ELP, very Keith Emerson sound and performance, both. 
not just the actual construction of the sound, but also how it's played, right? So, uh, yeah. I also think too this so. this may be another di- a different perspective, but I also think that because of him uh, bringing in a band, of course, prior to this when he was playing with Porcupine Tree, he was mostly, of course, they had support on the tours and stuff like that with John uh, Wesley, but he's not carrying the the guitars he, he doesn't right i feel like he doesn't he doesn't have to lead with sort of he's not having to carry the guitar parts with with right this music as opposed to something with porcupine tree and of course he stated a minute ago in that quote that i was using that he's gotten to be able to the, he's gotten the chance to focus more as a singer but without having sort of those kind of deep very porcupine tree like distorted guitars it opens up a little bit more space for stuff like this to happen like the 12 string guitars the flute and some of these other instruments the saxophone some of these other instruments to come into play uh while also employing freaking guthrie govin to do what steven would probably say he can't do so it's really cool how he's able to hire for his weaknesses yeah i mean yeah and uh and and being able to focus kind of on his lane and uh and take different lanes with each of the projects that he's that he's a oh, part totally. of. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I absolutely this song is really great. I love this. I love the texture of this song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, doesn't doesn't he end up killing his wife too? Yeah, this? I was about to say you didn't get to that part I didn't, where you I didn't, didn't touch yeah. on the fact that he does. He kills his wife. And she comes back to Um mom. and I I think yeah, she um what have I I read in a quote from him he it's, it's very telltale heart-esque where he buries her under the yeah. floorboards of his yeah. workshop yeah. Um, but wow. then she comes back because she's been with him for 50 yeah. years so she's not going to leave him now mm-hmm. so basically she kind of comes back to take him with her yes she no drags way. him down to hell uh-huh. yeah. yeah I mean well, maybe it's yeah. not sorry that she drags there. him down to death the I, I, was about, I was about to say I was like sorry that she's there well oh. maybe not maybe I, I took that too far <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I, don't know, I feel like if you're in heaven, your soul's at rest. And if you're coming back <laughs> to haunt say, someone because yeah. you hate them. <laughs> right. I don't know. If we're thinking in this binary view of heaven, hell. Or... I don't I don't, I don't. don't have the lyrics. Um, but doesn't it state her name in it? Uh, yes. Eliza. 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 That's right. That's right. It's very, and that, you know, to me, this implicate, or this, you know, him saying that they're this, I don't know, the watchmaker. I mean, everything about this feels old. You know, to me, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. like being a watch, it almost is like the, the shoemaker. And, the, you know, like you, you yes, just think about like yes. these are arts these that you think of old that, men doing. Yeah. Like you don't think of it being like a young guy. And, of course, they've had like a 50-year marriage. So, obviously, this is an older guy. And so the name Eliza to me just further, it, you know, reinforces that this is an old couple. This section right here is so it's one of my favorites. That's one of my favorite moments on the entire record, I think. That that piano riff with the harmonies and the drums, like with those the bells and the the Yeah, the, it's the very delicate. The, the rides. Yeah. Very yeah, yeah. Nice. very, very nice. I love it a lot. It's incredible. So um well I think that does that sum up our our track by track review? It's a very of, comprehensive. It's very comprehensive. I hope everybody yes. is appreciating this. I know you've stuck around for now an hour and 45 minutes but hopefully everybody has been enjoying this um before we close though uh i'd love to, any anything that you guys would like to share but i have two questions and if, if you guys don't have anything else to to bring up uh we maybe we can just end with these two um sounds good the first one that i have is 
is this a solo album? You know, there there've been there've been many artists who uh, you know, relied on the chemistry of their band for their musical output, right? You know, Peter Gabriel, Frank Zappa, heck, even Miles Davis. The sound of Peter Gabriel has Tony Levin. Tony Levin is a part of Peter Gabriel's sound. I mean, he's played with the dude for like freaking right. Oh, absolutely. Thirty years. I think years every or solo whatever. artist, you know, right? Not just them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so this. Does this sound like a solo album to you, or does this sound more democratic in a way? Just thought of, just thought about that because of, of course, kind of alluding back to some of the, the '70s prog stuff. Not a whole lot of, I mean, of course, you got names like Frank Zappa, but most of them were bands. They were they were collective groups. Of course, this is a considered quote unquote a solo record. So I just wanted to know if do you guys think of this album as a solo record? Um, or does this sound a little bit more like a group, a cohesive group to you? Um, what do you think, Drew? That's a really good question. Because I was going to say solo record because all the entire concept was all his. But then, crud, all of these bands, these groups, mm-hmm. also usually had one person that wrote kind of the, the concept of whatever, right? Sure. So I guess that's not really a fair argument to make. But... Um, I guess it's because I go in knowing that, yeah, he is kind of this visionary that has his way of doing it, that I do think of it as a solo record, and maybe it's because it's been promoted as such. Um, you know, but you know, there's something to be said of like, all right, so you've got you've got an artist, right? And it, Okay, this, he's promoting himself as, this is a Stephen Wilson record. This is not Porcupine Tree. This is, this. Obviously, you've got the band members involved, but I'm thinking of something like, no, no offense, not to be the the hater or whatever, but a lot of modern pop music. It's like, look, I don't know who the basis for Ariana Grande is. I don't really care, and like, they're not really that important, quote unquote, to the music. Like, that's terrible to say. I mean, obviously, they are in some respects, but like, they're not an iconic part of the sound. Whereas, like you were saying with Peter Gabriel, like mm-hmm. Tony Levin, you know when he's playing, and you know that kind of performance, right? And the kind of stuff that he does. And I think that's a different in, difference in genre as well. You know, for a lot of pop music, it is all about, especially the vocalist. You know, um, so nobody cares who the bassist is, you right? Know? Um, because the the highlight yeah. is the vocal, um, or they're the one that really, you know, Taylor Swift or whatever. You know, but in um, prog rock, but, it's not often that you have just a solo artist. You yeah, usually yeah, have a band. So I think that's an interesting point we haven't really discussed. Like, do, does Prague lend itself to a more democratic style of writing as opposed to some other genre? Well, I would say yes. I would say yes, too. Um, because to produce the kind of sounds that you were trying to make with progressive rock, it's going to take more than just you, you know? And, and it's highlighting the... the um, different instruments at different points in the in the composition so it's not just like you know okay ariana grande you know um i don't mean to bash her in particular it's not like no I no no no, no. It's, it's a it's good it's a good really comparison popular. um i mean it, it's maybe Sorry, not a very unfair it's it's an unfair comparison because it's two totally different genres in that way but if we're comparing this genre with another genre then yes a lot of um pop or even sometimes like rock. I mean, let's you know, um, you go now now to see Paul McCartney. It's not the Beatles, 
and you know, mm-hmm. never mind that two of them are not here anymore. But it, this is no longer the Beatles. This is Paul McCartney, and okay, it's not. But when even you Paul go McCartney to see Paul McCartney, McCartney you are you know a lot very frequently expecting them to play music that was from the band, that was from right, the Beatles, right, right, the group, right. But somebody else is going to be, but but he's being highlighted um, instead of that guitarist or whatever, you know, what have you. I think that. Um, progressive rock, you are highlighting multiple different instruments as well as like a vocal or a story, you know, you're utilizing multiple elements to convey a story or an emotion or what have you. Um, Pop music, they're not really doing that. They're the highlight is your vocalist or your guitarist, you know, like with rock, uh, a lot of the time the the guitarist is kind of the highlight, you know, um, mixed with the vocals. So like David Bowie, for example, you know, great rock artist, but he's Bowie. It's not this whole band, you know, Mm -hmm. but obviously he has other instrumentalists playing. Um, So I think prog is just a different kind of genre that every element is highlighted at some point during most compositions. Yeah, especially this type of prog. Like this, this, this approach, you know, and like right. the, the which very is interesting 70, that this yeah. is solo. Yep, quote unquote. Right. You have these different moments of Nick Beggs and Theo Travis and Guthrie Govan mm-hmm. that are just so iconic. In addition to the vocals and the concept and all that kind of stuff that Stephen Wilkin has orchestrated, and like Stephen Wilson was saying, like I couldn't have done this on my own. Like I had to have Guthrie Govan for that guitar solo and drive home. That had to be Guthrie yep. Govan. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. No, it's good. So leaning okay. on that, yeah, your your yep. band, right? So it's a, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. The term solo album for Prague is kind of weird, and even in this sense, difficult. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. even yeah. really always feel like a solo album. That's good. Last question. All music looks back as well as looks forward. Do you believe that the Raven did that? Does this album look to the past? And also look. Oh, to the it future. definitely looks to the past. Oh, absolutely. You think it looks uh, to the future, looks- Rachel? Yeah, I think so. And now, my question is: Are you talking musically or, or simply uh, melodically, rather, or are you talking I was, lyrically? I was talking very um, generally. I go so, to, I mean, you could take it either right. way. Right. It's like yep. I'm trying to think the melodically as well, but you know me, the word person, immediately thinking in the lyric sense. Um, I mean, heck, you've got um, "Drive Home" that is pushing this character towards the future out Mm. pulling him out of his trauma and his repression and um, his anguish to look forward. Mm. Um, So yes, there's a lot of past and now everything that's come, you know, you've been struggling with or whatever is catching up with you. And so here's this awful marriage and now, you know, I'm pulling you down with me and like, there's a lot of past. Um, But even the Raven itself and watching the music video where you see that, yes, he can, continue on yeah um that there's ho- like the symbol of his his sister is sorrowful but it's also hopeful um i think that there's definitely an element of looking to the future as well as the past and i, I probably melodically as well if you're thinking about just if you want to look in the scope of just wilson because there's so much of these things that we've talked about that are reflected in hand cannot erase yes right right yeah 
I like that perspective on that. Of course, uh, when I initially was writing out that question, I was thinking from the standpoint of like the overall music industry. Like this, right. This, right. And I assume that pushing. you were, but yes, exactly. And I really actually liked Drew can the, speak to that. <laughs> I actually really liked the the perspective of their of musically and lyrically how this is looking to the future. That's brilliant. I love that. Drew? Uh, I was going to say it definitely looks towards the past from a musical perspective. Oh, certainly. I mean, because we talked about people contend that this is overtly Absolutely. Prog. So yep. there's that inspiration. Does he bring anything new to the table from a musical sense? Does it, you know, like looking forward towards the future? Uh, I think what we just talked about is pretty interesting. Can there be a solo artist in Prague? Even just positing that question, whether you answer it or not, mm. even just presenting that question in and of itself is forward thinking. Yeah. 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 That's forward thinking I also, in a way. I also cool. would add to that being, uh, I, I do, and I know people have done it. I just don't think, I don't think many people have done it to the caliber that he did it with the music videos. Um, that that's pretty brilliant. Um, yeah. And, and looking towards very progressive, possibly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it is, is it possible now that, um, of course I know that we have a lot of audio files in the prog rock community. So a lot of people mm-hmm. who are interested in the high fidelity, but right. is it going to go beyond that to start getting, and we, and the box sets, the booklets and the images and, and stuff like the music video, uh, not music videos, but the, uh, the concerts. DVDs and stuff like that. Are we going to get more granular into the songs of videos and having an entire album that are music videos and not music videos of performances, but music videos of stories, like taking the concept of, of doing something like that. And, and possibly like I was saying before, like, wouldn't it be cool to have an entire album or what if this was, if this entire album was music videos rather than just, well, two? Uh, you know, we have bands that have done that. Right. Yep. Um, Daft Punk. yep. I mean, Daft Punk was my very first thought, you know, Discovery is an entire... And this wasn't the band doing this, but that idea is not, like, totally foreign because there's stuff like, again, it's not the band doing this, but I'm about to say Across the Universe, right? I never actually saw that movie. But that whole concept is like, it's a a bunch of Beatles songs all kind of just meshed together, but they're all different music videos and different interpretations of how these songs relate to this fictional character yeah, most definitely. So, yeah, um, I think still keeping kind of the identity of an album and having sure, video sure. support. Yeah, sure. and the just album. the entire thing is just yes. The, the entire movie is just the well, album. and then the wall, yes. right? I mean, yes, the yeah, of course, yeah. the wall, um, yeah. that kind of thing. So I think that was just that's a kind of a, a forward thinking um, element there. So anyway, any any final thoughts on the rave? That's it. Counterpoint. This is it. It's stupid. True. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, we would like to thank you for sticking around for two hours as we talk about The Raven That Refused to Sing. These are our prog notes on The Raven. Thank you, Rachel, again for joining us. We really appreciate you being here, hanging out with us for two hours. Thank you for, for having me. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Maybe you learned something new from the episode. If you did, please subscribe and follow us on our link tree in the description. There you can find our Discord community, all of our social media pages, and our Patreon if you'd like to financially support the show. Also, don't forget to follow the Spotlight podcast feed there as well. Rogan will be back with another interview very soon. Now, before we close, we are approaching episode 50. Tell us, what is the record that we're going to be listening to? For episode 50. Traveling all the way back to 1966, we're going to do Revolver by the Beatles. Woo! Oh my gosh. Really oh, forward into the, the amazing. Realm of prog rock. We did, we did Sgt. Pepper's on episode four. Yes. So, yep. 
This is the one yep. that you'll see with that. So. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. So Revolver by the Beatles, episode 50. So join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of Prog Rock. See you guys on Discord. Thanks. Thanks.